It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, and it's another one of our tactical analysis shows. We're going to be looking back on Arsenal's 1-0 win at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night. Look, the season's been a shambles. The season's been a really difficult one to take as an Arsenal fan. But what I will say is, albeit temporarily, last night's result, did put a bit of a smile on my face. And, and as I kept saying on the post-match show yesterday, if you can't enjoy Arsenal beating Chelsea away from home, then what are you even in this game for? Uh, and I honestly feel that. I honestly believe that. You know, it doesn't paper over all of the cracks. It doesn't mean that we should forget all that's occurred this season or that we should uh, jump to conclusions of the opposite spectrum in comparison to the ones we were drawing after the Villarreal exit. But Take some positive out of it. Take some, you know, happiness, some joy out of it because we deserve that, don't we? It's been a really, really tough season. Uh, big hello to everybody in the live chat. Hope you are all well. Um, Omar in the comments says, Masterclass, parking the bus and scoring from a mistake is considered a masterclass these days. Wow. I haven't said, Omar, that it was an Arteta masterclass. That's why I put a question mark in the title. Was it an Arteta masterclass? Or were Arsenal just extremely fortunate last night. We're going to try and come to that conclusion between now and the end of the show by looking at the tactical side of the game, looking at the tactical aspects of it, how it played out, who benefited from Mikel Arteta's decision to change the shape, who perhaps suffered from it, and we'll try and come to that conclusion between now and the end of the podcast. So, of course, Mikel Arteta went into the game against Thomas Tuchel's side and changed the system. Now, Thomas Tuchel, since he's come to Chelsea, has played this 3-4-2-1 system. It isn't a 3-4-3. It really isn't that. What you see from Chelsea when they play this way is you see their two uh, players in support of the striker, who was last night, of course, Kai Havertz. Uh, in this uh, instance, it was from the start, it was Mason Mount and Pulisic. They play in a tucked-in role. They do not occupy the wide spaces. They are not wingers. They are inside uh, either attacking midfielders or forwards, depending on what you want to call it. And Arsenal actually matched them up like for like to the T. Brave, bold decision from Mikel Arteta. It's a decision that I said in the lead up to the game, I certainly wouldn't have made. I thought it was too big a risk to try and sort of overhaul our way of playing completely in order to try and nullify Chelsea. If we look at how Arsenal lined up, it was a back three of uh, Rob Holding, Pablo Marie and Gabriel. Across the midfield, it was uh, Saka on the right, Partey and Elneny in the middle with Tierney from the left. Emil Smith-Rowe and Odegaard were the two inside midfielders or inside attacking midfielders or inside uh, forwards, whatever you want to call them. That was Odegaard and Emil Smith-Rowe and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang led the line. 
Now, if we look into some of the, the statistics off of the back of yesterday's game, right? Because, you know, if you're going to play a game against a side that is superior to you and you are going to um, give up 68% of the possession like Arsenal did, you're going to allow your opponents 19 attempts at goal in comparison to your five, then you have to accept that there is going to be an element of luck involved if you're going to get over the line, if you're going to win. So to sit and dismiss everything that Arsenal did last night or everything that Mikel Arteta did in preparation for that game and just say it was purely about luck, I think is disingenuous. I said after the game last night that my opinion on Mikel Arteta has not completely shifted off the back of what happened last night. But if we're going to criticise him when he gets it wrong, as I said yesterday, then you have to give him praise when he gets it right. And if we just focus on Chelsea for a moment, I'll just take you over uh, to the tactics board. If we focus on Chelsea just for the moment and we sort of uh, spread the players out a little bit, we move them upfield and we try and uh, give a better picture of, of maybe how the game uh, sort of would have panned out normally rather than both sets of players in their own half. If you push everybody up from a Chelsea perspective, I want to highlight to you what it is that Chelsea do so well, what it is that's made them such a really uh, formidable force under Thomas Tuchel, because I've done a lot of work on Chelsea in the last few weeks. I've been fortunate enough to commentate on a number of Premier League games in which they've been involved and knowing that the fixture against us was was not far away. I paid particular attention to the shape, to the setup. And I want to highlight what it is, as I say, that Chelsea do so well. Now, in Kai Havertz yesterday, Chelsea had a centre forward who, contrary to what people think, is actually extremely good at bringing the ball under control, holding players off, playing with his back to goal. He's got an aerial presence as well, Kai Havertz. Scored plenty of headed goals during his time at Bayer Leverkusen. That's not what his game is solely about, but it's a big part of his game. And Thomas Tuchel's idea was to get Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic, who have both proven that they can chip in with goals, get as close to him as possible. Those guys are not tasked with going out to the wide areas and trying to pull the centre-backs across. They are tasked with filling in these half spaces. And a half space, which I'll just identify for those of you watching on the video, is this area here. I've, I've talked about it before from a tactical perspective when analysts coaches are talking about it they describe this area here uh, as a half space so it's not on the wing it's the area in between the wing and the center it's called the half space and that is what somebody like Mason Mount or Christian Pulisic on the other side uh, are supposed to be trying to exploit that is what Chelsea do and why do they do that they do that because they want to create an overload and pandemonium in a key area of the pitch whilst allowing their wing backs, if you like. You know, yesterday uh, we saw Ben Chilwell on the left and we saw Reese James on the right to get forward, expose the wings. And when they do get beyond, they've got options to pick out. They have got options because they've got not just the centre forward taking away the attention of the defenders, but they've got the likes of Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic coming in. And often you'll see under Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea have had a lot of joy from getting in behind in the wing areas and pulling balls back across the penalty area to those three players who are now in the centre. In doing this, in in playing in these half spaces, particularly against a, a four-man defence, they can cause real trouble. 
you know, against a four-man defence, they can create those overloads and it can be three against four with the two wing-backs coming forward as well, making it five against four. And it makes it really, really difficult uh, for for teams to cope with them. And that is why Mikel Arteta took the decision that he did. And that decision was, of course, to revert to a back three. Now, in playing with the back three, what it allows you to do is it allows you to shift it back into a back five when you need to. And that's what Arsenal did uh, for the most part of last night's game. Arsenal shifted it back into a back five. The three centre-halves all tucked in. Tierney and Saka would drop deep. Elneny and Partey would sit in front of them. And then you'd see Martin Odegaard and Emil Smith-Rowe, who were tasked with playing in a more infield position, just tuck in as part of a narrow midfield four um, to try and make it a bank of five followed by a bank of four. And that's why Arsenal looked incredibly stubborn last night. Yes, Chelsea had shots at goal. Yes, Bern Leno made a couple of really good saves. Yes, they hit the woodwork, etc., etc. But what I'm talking about is Arsenal being stubborn. I can guarantee you that had Arsenal played in the usual way of playing with a 4-2-3-1, bombing those full-backs on without having the added stability of a third centre-back, Arsenal would have been absolutely torn to shreds by Chelsea last night. So Mikel Arteta, in hindsight, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, was proved right to do what he did. Is it an Arteta masterclass? Um, I think masterclass is probably a strong word. I think masterclass is probably going a little bit overboard. But what you cannot deny, whether you're Mikel Arteta in, whether you're Mikel Arteta out, is that Mikel Arteta's decision to play that way Mikel Arteta's decision to match Chelsea's system, to add the additional stability that comes with an extra central defender, to take away from the forward line by removing um, another attacker and, and partnering up Thomas Partey and Elneny alongside the fact that we had the back three behind them, contributed to Arsenal getting all three points. Was it the be all and end all? You could argue no. You know, they, of course, the goal came from a mistake. Um you know, and you could argue that Arsenal were, were kind of fortunate in certain situations. I wonder if, uh, in hindsight, the officials or, or Chelsea fans will be looking back at that incident involving Rob Holding in the first half and feel they might have deserved the penalty. You know, th there is a lot of uh, a lot of factors you have to consider here. But what I am saying is that while I am a little bit sceptical of calling it a Mikel Arteta masterclass, you cannot deny that his decision to change it up to match Thomas Tuchel actually worked and went some way in contributing to Arsenal, picking up a massive three points. Now, look, Arsenal, prior to this season, as I pointed out last night, hadn't won away at one of the big six since 2015. And we've done it twice this season. For the first time since 2003-2004, the, the uh, invincible season, Arsenal have done the double over Chelsea in the Premier League. So that shouldn't be sniffed at. And I appreciate that the progression overall hasn't been there. And, and again, as I, I just want to reiterate the point. I, I said it after the Villarreal game. I was really angry, frustrated, wanted Mikel Arteta out, thought that somebody else needed to come in. And I'm still leaning towards that side of the debate. Mikel Arteta has got a lot of work to do to convince me again that he is the right man to take Arsenal forward. But... Credit where credit's due. I thought he got it wrong. Yes, uh, I thought he got it right. Sorry, yesterday, and for that he deserves praise. Now there were some players who this system, from an Arsenal perspective, didn't work for, and there's no getting away from that. And I and I'll highlight those players now. 
you know, we if we reset everybody back into their, the positions they're supposed to be starting in, if you like. Um, I didn't think that uh, that Bukayo Saka benefited from playing this way. Um, I thought that Bukayo Saka struggled with being pinned back so much. You know, Bukayo Saka has played in defences, um, you know, has played in defences where Arsenal have been the stronger side and has prioritised getting forward. He wasn't able to do that yesterday because, um, you know, because Chelsea was so strong, because Chelsea pinned him back. And I thought he looked a little bit uncomfortable having to run back towards his goal all the time, having to, um, you know, make blocks, make challenges. I, I didn't think it suited Bukayo Saka and I don't really like Bukayo Saka in this position. For Kieran Tierney, on the other hand, though, I thought it worked brilliantly because he was able to tuck in and support Gabriel on that left-hand side. But equally, he was able to get forward with a bit more freedom, knowing that there was a little bit more stability behind him. And he did that. I guess Arsenal did that as a as a team very sparingly. But when they did, I thought Kieran Tierney at least carried a threat by making the right runs. I didn't think the system particularly suited Gabriel. I thought that Gabriel struggled with it. When Arsenal are playing out from the back, what you see is you, you know, in this system in particular, as you see Holding having to pull out there, you see Gabriel having to pull out to the left. And when Gabriel picked up the ball in this kind of area, almost like a left back, I thought he looked really uncomfortable. I think that there are some centre-backs that are suited to playing in a two and there are some that are suited to playing in a three. And with, with Gabriel, I think... And as I pointed out last night, when he plays as part of a two, particularly alongside David Luiz, the responsibility of progressing the ball, um, dealing with the press is is not as high because David Luiz normally takes that role on. And David Luiz, we know for all his faults, has the technical ability and the composure uh, a lot of the time to do it and to do it successfully. Gabriel, not so much. And I thought he was another example of a player who struggled actually with the adaptation of the system. However, on the other side, I thought Rob Holding dealt with it brilliantly. And and Rob Holding has shown in years gone by that he's probably his best position is on the right of a back three. Some of his best performances, again, as I pointed out last night, have come from playing in that position. So there are players who it suits. There are players who it doesn't suit. You know, Emil Smith-Rowe, was able uh, to do what Emil Smith-Rowe does, and that is pick up the ball in all kinds of areas, whether that be on the left, whether that be on the right, whether that be centrally. Um, from this position, he was able to get out and try and combine with Kieran Tierney when he was getting forward. Uh, he tried to get close to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as he did for the goal. Um, but for Martin Odegaard, I thought he was another example of someone who didn't quite look right in it. So, you know, it's not something that, you're going to see every week. I'm not sure it's something that you should see every week. But for years and years and years, as Arsenal fans, we were up in arms about Arsene Wenger failing to adapt tactics to deal with teams that were better than us. Mikel Arteta has done that. And to be fair to him, in the bigger games, we have been more competitive. Yeah, we've lost a fair few of them, but we ain't been getting beaten threes and fours and fives and sixes very often. So, even if you don't think he's the right man anymore, you know, that you cannot deny. It's there in black and white. These are facts. So, as I say, I think that the change in system helped. Um, I think that it helped get Arsenal over the line last night. 
but you have to take into consideration the other factors as well. And some of those factors were that we had the rubber, the green in certain moments that Chelsea made seven changes with a view to the FA Cup final coming up this weekend. And Thomas Tuchel spoke about that in his post-match interview. He talked about the fact that maybe he'd made too many changes. So just to be clear, I'm not saying that this was a Mikel Arteta masterclass. All I'm saying is that the impact his change in system had on Arsenal getting over the line is undeniable. And, and that's how I see it. Let me go over to the live chat. Uh, get your questions in. I'd love to pick up some of your questions as we um, as we move through uh, the rest of the show. Just a quick reminder while I'm waiting for you to fill up the chat box. This podcast is brought to you uh, by manscaped.com. So if you're in need of some male grooming products, if you're in need to address that situation, head of the lockdown lifting, uh, then head over to manscaped.com, enter your discount code, which is man uh, 90 min 20, sorry, um, and you'll get 20% off of your order as well as free shipping. Some great products. I can attest to them working extremely well. Uh, so do check it out. Head over to Manscaped and we thank them as always for their very kind support. Um, Let's see uh, what we've got here in terms of your comments. Uh, Marble Horse TV says, Mikel out tactic Tuchel, but effed it up against Emery. <laughs> uh, Agamu Busaka says, hi, Harry, live from Kenya. Uh, how you doing, mate? Hope everyone is good over there. He says, we defended well. If we had defended half of what we did against Chelsea all season, we could be top four now. See, the thing is, Agamu, is that there's been a lot of sort of misconception floating around about Arsenal and the reasons why our season is going to turn out to be, quite frankly, a bit of a disaster. It's not because of the defending, my friend. It really isn't. You know, Arsenal have the joint third best defensive record in the Premier League. Arsenal have an identical defensive record in the Premier League this season to Manchester United, who are sitting second. That's not been the issue. The issue has been at the other end of the pitch. And even yesterday, when I was when I had the game on on Sky Sports, they brought up a stat on the screen, uh, which talked about the teams with the most individual errors that led to goals, and Arsenal weren't even in the top five. So people have made big deals about the individual errors, and and yes, they've let us down at key moments, but the volume of them hasn't really been the problem. You know, sometimes the timing of them has been perhaps more significant than than we'd have liked, and that's a bit of bad luck. But in terms of the volume of individual errors and in terms of the volume of mistakes that we're making, we've cut down a lot. And, and for all the criticism and stick that Mikel Arteta will get, and, and most of it deservedly so, the one thing you cannot deny is that defensively we are a better side than we were prior to his arrival. Um, Steve says, Chelsea were not guaranteed top four. I'm surprised by their amount of changes. I think there was a bit of arrogance there, Steve, uh, from Chelsea. You know, they've been formidable. They've made changes and, and got away with it in, in recent games. Probably looked at this Arsenal side, void of confidence, really struggling and felt that they could um, that they could get over the line with the team they picked. And when you saw their team on paper, you'd have still said it was it was strong enough. But I think there was a little bit of arrogance there, perhaps. Uh, Chris says, uh, so you want park the bus tactics every time the big we play a big team. That's not what I'm saying, Chris. You know, down the line, you'd hope that Arsenal would be at a point where they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the big sides. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sits deep with Manchester United when he goes to Manchester City and looks to hit them on the counter-attack and does it to good effect. And I never hear anyone talking about Manchester United being negative, and they've got a far better squad than us. They've got far more attacking talent than us, far more 
you know, stability than us. So I'm not saying I like it or that it's the ideal way of playing, but I'm not dead against it when it comes to games in which we are playing superior opponents. And and one, as I've said, one of the things I used to slag Arsenal off for in the past was not recognising that there was a golfing class between us and some of our opponents and trying too hard to play our own game to the point where we just completely left ourselves open and were completely annihilated. Think about how many of those bad results. Six ones at Chelsea, six one at Old Trafford. We had a uh, eight two at Man United. We've had loads. Five one at Spurs. We've had some bad ones. Had some bad ones. Russ says masterclass. Come on, Harry. Chelsea had their flip flops on. As I said, Russ, I- I'm not claiming it to be a masterclass. I put it in the title, and a lot of people have jumped on that. But there is a question mark after the title. It was it a masterclass? And the whole purpose of this pod was to come to the conclusion as to whether it was or whether it wasn't. And my conclusion, and I don't know what you guys think, feel free to let me know in the comments. But my conclusion is that whilst it was not a Mikel Arteta masterclass, you cannot deny, as I keep saying, that his uh, decision impacted um, impacted on, on our ability to get the game and in a positive way. Steve Stone says, is it worth me looking at the table to see if we can still make Europe? Steve, I mean, the, the approach I'm taking to it now is if we win against Crystal Palace in our next Premier League game, I'll have another look at it. Because as Mikel Arteta quite rightly pointed out last night, it's not in our hands. And so I don't want to get build on this full sense of hope to be let back down by another team. It's bad enough being let down by your own, but when it's out of your control, it's even worse. Um, you could argue. So I'm not looking at it just yet. Let's beat Crystal Palace and then we can have a look going into the final game of the season and try work out what we need. Um, Michael S rightly points out that the points tally since Christmas isn't bad. It's just sloppy losses, which are unacceptable. And that I agree with. The level of performances is is what is upsetting and concerning, probably more so than the results, because as Michael rightly points out, since Christmas, um, the results have been good. And I think we're third in the table or something um, from what people were sending around uh, yesterday. So, you know, and I, t- I talked about it, you know, during that positive run that we we went on just after the Christmas period. If you cast your minds back, I remember quite clearly saying that if Arsenal don't go on to qualify for Europe this season, it won't be based on what happens in the second part of the season. Yes, it plays a part. You know, you could win every game and recover, but that wasn't going to happen. You know, the, the reality is of our situation, that it was built, it was created, it was caused by a really sloppy period that we had in the lead up to Christmas, rather than what's occurred after it. Uh, Said Abdullah says, uh, your thoughts on McGinn? Going into kind of transfer discussion. John McGinn of Aston Villa, I'm assuming you're talking about. Do you consider him as a target for the summer? I don't. Um, I don't, I think that, um, you know, I've, I've written a piece today for, for 19 in which you can check out, uh, sort of talking about, um, sort of collating all the reports together and, and trying to work out exactly what it is Arsenal are looking to do in the summer and how they're looking to do it. Uh, the positions that we've highlighted are goalkeeper, um, Arsenal want to get a goalkeeper in, Arsenal want to get a couple of fullbacks in one to replace the uh, outbound Hector Bellerin and one to re- uh, to provide backup to Kieran Tierney on the other side, a central midfielder, which would which John McGinn would fit the bill for. But I think that Yves Bissouma is probably a more realistic target for Arsenal. And then a centre forward. 
And I mentioned Osane Edouard in that um, as someone that Arsenal have been looking at for a number of seasons now. So I think McGinn's a decent player, but he's not somebody I'd be I'd be looking to to pursue at the moment. Uh, no disrespect to the guy, he's just not not what I think we need right now. Yes, he works hard um, and he brings a lot of good things to the table. I'm just not sure that Mikel Arteta will, will have him on his radar and I'm not sure. Um, I would uh, I would <laughs> splash the cash on him. Uh, THLMK, I don't know how to pronounce that. Thilmuk, is that right? <laughs> Why do you think Arteta keeps playing players seemingly out of the team next season? Can't be as a showcase for the transfer market, surely. Um, I mean, when you look at that team last night, I'd imagine that that all of them, barring maybe Martin Odegaard, if a deal is not struck, and perhaps Mohamed Elneny, would all be in the setup. I think he's got to use the subs regardless of whether they're staying or going, because they're part of the squad and football very much is a squad game now. Um, I don't really see that as a major issue, uh, if I'm if I'm completely honest. Uh, what else have we got here in terms of your thoughts? In terms of your questions. Um Guna Legend says, uh, we were so lucky last night. I was actually laughing when watching it. Good win, but means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Chelsea have bigger things on their mind. Yeah, that's undeniable. That's undeniable. The kind of final thing that I, I want to touch on on this episode was was Mikel Arteta's post-match interview. Because at the time of recording the post-match reaction show last night, I hadn't seen it. Um I then watched it back immediately afterwards. And I guess it was quite refreshing to see Mikel Arteta so fired up. Um, It was quite refreshing to see Mikel Arteta fighting. It was quite refreshing for me to see Mikel Arteta calling out the media for what they are a lot of the time. And and listen, I work in the media now. I see it every day. I see it on a daily basis. I see how comments this big can be blown out of proportion and turned into a story, how clickbait gets around the internet and how it can be so viral in the way it is spreading. So I get it. And, and Mikel Arteta was quite unhappy with the way some of his quotes uh, with regards to his playing stuff had been perceived by the media. And I think quite rightly so. But kind of reading between the lines, because you all know what Mikel Arteta said. You you all saw it. You all heard it. I'm not going to repeat, um, you know, what, what Mikel Arteta said. But what I will say is this. For all his faults as a manager, and there are quite a few that have come to light throughout the course of the season, whether it's regards to player management in terms of man management, whether it's regards to with regards to his tactics, his selections, whatever it might be, what you cannot deny is that Mikel Arteta cares. Mikel Arteta is is desperate to succeed. You can see it in his eyes, and you can see it in the way he come across. And as as Graham says, he wasn't happy, was he? He was nearly out of control. I'd say a man under pressure. Yeah, um, he certainly looked like a man under pressure who cracked and snapped and went after the press went after the media. I don't really have an issue with that. Um, but it was for me, you know, people call him arrogant and and maybe to a degree there is a sense of arrogance there. Maybe you have to be a bit arrogant to survive at that level. But what I will say is that he cares. He's passionate. He cares about the job he's doing. He cares about his, his team. He cares about how he's perceived. He cares about, um, you know, 
how he comes across. There are lots and lots, um, lots and lots of positives um, to take from his reaction in terms of how he cares, in terms of how he, uh, you know, he's, he's desperate to succeed. You can't deny that. You could see it on his face. Um, and I think, as Tom quite rightly points out, he says Arteta was particularly upset with Sky because they specifically twisted what he said before the match and it festered in his mind. Yeah, there was a clip going around, wasn't there, where they clipped up a particular part of Mikel Arteta's press conference and made it out as though he was singling out individuals and, and suggesting that they didn't care and they weren't trying. And I can see why his words were, were misconstrued, like misconstrued, I guess. So I don't think that Mikel Arteta is completely blameless in this, but it was made into a soundbite. It was made into a clip and it was sent out and became viral. Um, and obviously he was unhappy with that. But as I say, I, I was, I, I like seeing a manager show fight like that. I like seeing a manager show passion like that. I've got no issue with it whatsoever, but I think it as as a couple of you have pointed out in the chat, it was probably a combination of him being unhappy and, and probably him being, um, sort of under pressure in the general grand scheme of things. So there we go. Right. Going to leave it there. Um, hope you've enjoyed the kind of tactical analysis and, and looked at a look at the way the Arsenal system helped to cope uh, with Chelsea. Didn't give us an awful lot of uh, joy in an attacking sense, but we did capitalise on a moment that came our way off the back of a really bad mistake from Jorginho. Uh, so we take some positive from that. Um, and yeah, there we are. There we are. We move forward and we look forward to Arsenal's next game against Crystal Palace. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more Arsenal content. I'll be back tomorrow with more. There won't be another live today. Unfortunately, I am off to work. I am commentating on the game between uh, Manchester United and Liverpool for VSIN out in the United States. So if you are based in the States, you can tune into that via iHeartRadio uh, from about 8 p.m. I think it's 8 p.m. or 8.03 or something crazy like that. Uh, so you can catch us on that um, tonight and we'll be taking you through that game. So uh, look forward to catching some of you there. And until next time, take care and enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.